0: I want to invite you to take out the Bibles that are in front of you, these red books, and turn to page 936. And our summer practice is going to be to read through the Beatitudes together every Sunday so that we begin to memorize and incorporate these into our daily lives, into our daily walk with Christ. On the back table, there's a center table with a big flower bouquet. If you are interested in a bookmark, just as a way to help you remember the Beatitudes, they are there available for you to take. Stick it in books, stick it in the Bible, stick it on your dashboard. I don't care where you put it, but keep it before you as you learn to walk in the way of Jesus as we move through the Beatitudes together. So let's read this together. I'm gonna do again, I'm gonna read the first two verses. And then I invite you all to read verses 3 through 12 with me out loud. All right, are you with me? we good? All right, here we go. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to to him, and he began to teach them, saying, let's read together, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is good news, apparently. <laughs> All right? So let's work on this this morning. Our, our purpose for gathering on Sundays is what I've said is threefold. The first thing that we seek to do, according to what I call the three re's, is to remember. We have a problem with easily forgetting on a weekly basis who we are and who God is. And we gather together in our songs, in our reading of scripture, in teaching to remember who God is and, who, and to remember who we are in light of who God is. So that is one of our goals. And then secondly, once we remember and we come back into our bodies, we reorient ourselves around Jesus. So Jesus' priorities become our priorities. How Jesus interacts with people becomes the desired outcome for us and how we interact with people. The kinds of people that Jesus invites to his tables and to his parties are the people that we invite to our tables and to our parties. And then the last thing we do when we reorient, we then come into full alignment, we realign with Jesus. That's the desire, that's why we're here, to remember, reorient, and realign, okay? So let's get into this. Um, Last week, we started by looking at Mark's narrative. And if you remember, In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark begins his story by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God. That's how he begins the story. The beginning of of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God. So we ask the question, well, what is that good news? And then we jump down to verse 14, and in verse 14, 14, it talks about the good news of the kingdom of God. So verse 1 says the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says the good news of the kingdom of God. We have to step back as the reader, set down our assumptions that we've already arrived at, and begin asking the question, what is the good news? Is it the good news of Jesus Christ? Is it the good news of God? How would people have heard the good news? Those listening. Now, I want to put this in its proper context to help us engage with the text before we jump into the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Roman emperors used the term good. News. It was a very popular term, and the reason why Roman emperors used the term good news is to relay a message that pertained to everyone. So good news had to be done in a public square, and it had to be good for everyone hearing the news. So as a Roman citizen, if you declared yourself a citizen of Rome... When you heard a declaration from the public square that said the good news of Caesar, the divine son of God, your ears would pay attention because you would realize something significant has happened that altered history. Something is about to change, and we're about to receive this good news, and it's going to change everyone's life. So let me give you an example. After Rome would win a battle, there would be a messenger that would come into the public square on behalf of Caesar. And divine, the divine message would have sounded something like this. Caesar Augustus, who ruled from 27 BC until AD 14, declared his good news like this. Are you ready? Here we go. Divine Caesar Augustus, son of God, imperator of land and sea, the reason behind your prosperity, savior of the whole world, has brought you peace. Does any of that sound familiar? In the beginning, the good news of Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, the good news of Jesus. Jesus' declaration was done in the public square. And what Jesus was stating was, is that the good news of God's empire is now here. Now, Rome had already established a very powerful military presence and they had achieved world peace through coercive force. So if you went the way of Rome and declared your allegiance to the nation of Rome, all would go well for you and your family. So when good news would come out, we've won another battle, this changes everything, how would you receive that news if you were not part of the kingdom of Rome, but decided to be part of the kingdom of God on earth? Would that be good news for you? Well, it really depends on what side of the boot of oppression you found yourself. So if you were being oppressed, if you were refusing to go the way of this military force or this nation, things would not go well for you and therefore for your family. So the question is, is is it good news for everyone? And then Jesus makes an announcement. The good news of the kingdom of God is here. Was it good news for everyone? Now we assume, yeah, it's good news for everyone, but if you're a Roman citizen, is it good news for you? Especially when you start to see the message of Jesus, where he talks about laying down your life for the sake of another. And this got me thinking about some questions for us as Americans. Would we hear the announcement? The good news of the kingdom of God is here. It has arrived in the state of Washington. Would it be good news for us if the questions that surrounded the message of the good news were like this? Question number one, what is the path to peace? How are we responding to our neighbors in need? How are we treating children, the poor, the immigrants, minorities? How about the enemies of our nation? Let's take it further. What's the point of entertainment and social media. media. Really, what's the point? What values are we strengthening in sports? And how are those values forming and shaping our children? Are we serving the wrong master? Jesus says, the good news of the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. Return back to what it means to be a human on the face of the earth, one who reflects back the image of God to the earth and those around you and let's participate in how things actually could be as we reorient and realign ourselves around the way of Jesus where justice is done where love always wins where peace comes through nonviolence where we are always working on reconciliation because let's face it friends relationships are complicated and hard where we will always choose God's dream over the dream of our own nation. That it's God's dream that we elevate and hold to. We're gonna walk through the Beatitudes and we're gonna lean into these questions. And as we walk through these teachings of Jesus, it's important to keep in mind that Jesus was a Jewish man. Now, I don't mean to insult your intelligence. I think we all know that Jesus was Jewish. But let's keep that in mind as we're listening to the teachings of Jesus. Now imagine, you're part of a nation, a Jewish nation, and ever since 586 BC, the Jews had been ruled by a long succession of empires, one empire after another. And the Jewish people in their psyche, they wanted freedom, they wanted hope, they wanted their own land, they didn't wanna be dominated or controlled or told how to live. Imagine being part of what you perceive to be a God-fearing nation, to consider yourself on God's side, and you keep worshiping the one true God, and you keep hearing stories that says, your God is higher, your God is stronger, your God is greater, you serve the one true God, and yet you keep finding yourselves ruled and dominated and controlled by pagan nations. What goes through your mind? The question then comes, what does it look like to love our enemies? So now the question of Jesus' announcement of the good news of the kingdom of God gets a little too close to home. Because according to God's people and how they were growing up and being shaped and formed, they couldn't be part of a government that was divinizing themselves. They couldn't allow themselves to be aligned with that. Although they had deep in their psyche that we're on God's side, Now, as I step back and I look at America, it seems like there's lots of Christians in our country. It seems like it. And there's lots of different ways that people view God, view Jesus, and the Bible. Have you had this experience where you're talking to somebody about Jesus and you think, like, what Jesus are you following? Have you had that experience? Or you talk to somebody about how they read a particular book in the Bible and you're like, wait, are we on this, are we reading the same book? How did you arrive at those conclusions? And our natural instinct is just to go, well, they're wrong, they don't see it right, right? You're with me, right? You're, you're all getting this, this is how we experience each other. It's like, all oh, those Presbyterians down the street, what, what do they know? And there's all these things that we do to separate one another because they don't see reality the way that we see Reality. So it gets really complicated and tricky, even in our own time and in our own frame. It's like, are we talking about the same God? So there seems to be all these different sects, even here in America, of what Christianity is and what the message of Jesus is. You have people who say, we should never get involved in politics. And then you have people who say, we should get involved in politics. And then you have people who say, this is how I view God. And you're like, going, what? What, what God is that that you're serving? I'm not sure we're on the same page. And what we do, if we're honest, is we tend to get into sex with people who think like us, look like us, act like us, and we're very uncomfortable putting ourselves into groups of people that don't see reality the way that we see it, right? I'm talking to you right now. You're hearing me, right? We do this. Let's admit it. We love to be around people who see reality the way that we do because, well, let's face it, it's the right way. So we get into these groups, these echo chambers, and we continue to perpetuate some of these things and we're not willing to change in certain areas. Now, I'm gonna ask you to do something this morning that's gonna require a little bit of a stretch and to ask yourself these questions, is this how I see God? And do I assume that others in my circles see God the way that I do? We reviewed this back in March and I wanna revisit this because I think it's really helpful as we frame our discussion through the summer. There were four main sects in Judaism during the time of Jesus. Do you remember this? We, we covered this? Some of you are like, not really, because I don't listen to a word you say. You're just a yim-yammer up there. <laughs> but we covered four different sects of Judaism. And as I go through these four different sects, I want you to ask yourself, do I identify with this group of people? So Jesus comes into a scene and he's seeking to reform Judaism, he's seeking to reform his people and to get them back into remembering who God is and remembering who they are. So let's talk about group number one. You will read about these groups in the Gospels. The first group were called the Zealots. Have you heard of the Zealots? Simon, one of Jesus' followers, was a Zealot. Zealots, man, God bless them. The Zealots were all about, let's rise up and rebel against Rome. Like, let's, let's get a, like a military force and go in and charge because God is on our side, like he had been in the past. So God had led our people through numerous battles and brought victory. So why are we just sitting back, allowing this people to oppress us? Let's go charge the gates. So that's the first group. And of course, Jesus calls a zealot to come and be on his team. He's like, okay, you can be on my team. Second group are the Herodians. The Herodians, they decided to um, buddy up with a very strict religious group called the Sadducees. So you got the Herodians and the Sadducees, and they believed, here's the deal, listen, the government is corrupt, they're morally bankrupt, but God put them in charge, so let's just play the game and go along with status quo. You can't buck the system. So work with it. Get in there and mingle with these politicians. Sidle up next to them. This is the way life works. And so they played the political game. It doesn't matter if that person is morally bankrupt. It's okay. Let's work with what's in front of us. Now, the Herodians and the Sadducees thought that the Zealots were completely off base. So we got the Zealots, the Herodians. Group number three, the Essenes. I love the Essenes. They, scholars believe that John the Baptist was most likely an Essene. Essenes believed that you had to isolate yourself from the world and from culture and go out into the wilderness and pray. Don't you love that? Let's just go off into the wilderness and pray and eat locusts and honey and chill and get really devoted to God and memorize scriptures and fast, and work on our meditation, and memorizing scripture. They just wanted to be separate from the world, because the world was corrupt, and they didn't want to be corrupted by the world. So they created, like, an alternate society out away from the current culture. And then, group number four, the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees get a bad rap. The Pharisees are always, like, set up as, like, oh, you don't want to be a Pharisee, or if you get called a Pharisee, We, as Americans, get really offended by that. Like, don't call me a Pharisee. I'm not a Pharisee. You're a Pharisee. And so Pharisees are people that really held on to a strong conviction of purity laws. So they believed the reason why the Jews are being dominated and oppressed is because they lacked obedience and because of sin in their camp. So some sin was allowed to continue on, and until we eradicate all of that from our community, God's not going to fully bless us. So Jesus comes into, and he's interacting with all of these different groups of people. Now imagine this with me. Let's say you're a Pharisee, and you hear about this Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, and you think to yourself, hey, I hear a lot of good things about this rabbi. We should go out and see him teach and see if he's actually like us. And they come upon Jesus, and who's he hanging out with? Uh, Samaritans. Samaritans aren't even human, according to Jewish law. And Jesus is interacting with Samaritans. He's touching Samaritans. He's healing people. He's touching unclean people, therefore making himself unclean. So as a Pharisee, I look at this rabbi, and I think, well, he's nothing like us. He truly can't be the purveyor of the good news of the kingdom of God. So a Pharisee would walk away disappointed, Left with the question, I guess he's not like us, where does that leave us? So here comes the zealots, and the zealots are thinking, okay, he's just gathered up a whole group of people out on a mountainside, and he's going to start giving his manifesto, and he's going to start aligning people and getting the troops trained, and we're going to go and we're going to charge Rome and slit some throats. Let's go out and see him. And he stands up on a mountainside and he's got all these peasants and immigrants and people on the outside. And he begins to teach them. And as they lean in to listen to his message, he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of things against you and insult you. In fact, I say when somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn and face and tell them, hit me again on the other side. And there's a whole teaching there. But when somebody tells you to take their pack and lead it, you take it the extra mile. So the way of Jesus to the zealot is like, "This, this can't be God's person. This can't be the person that God has set to bring new world order in the world. So he's not like us. So a zealot might walk away Disappointed, And then you've got the Herodians. And Jesus, his statement alone, the kingdom of God is here, reveals he's not a Herodian because you don't say that when there's already an established kingdom in place. So the Herodians are like, he's out, we got to be against him. And that leaves the Essenes. And the Essenes have got to think, oh, this Jesus, he's right in the center of culture interacting with all kinds of people he's calling out bad behavior, he's even addressing the Caesars, he's going into all of the marketplaces and talking with people, surely he's not like us. And that leaves us with a really big question mark. Instead of asking the question, are we anything like Jesus, maybe a question that we need to start asking ourselves is, is he anything like us? And if not, What do we need to change? That's the journey. That's where we're headed to remember, to reorient, to realign ourselves in the way of Jesus. So let's take a moment and open up our hearts and our hands and our minds and say with me Holy Spirit, you lead, we will follow, we trust we lean into your way. We ask that the Beatitudes would not just be words on a page, but that they would begin to interact with our way of seeing the world around us. That as we lean into what it means to be poor in spirit and meek, what it means to be pure, what it means to be a peacemaker in a world that continues to spin in violence and revenge and unforgiveness. May we be a people marked with the courage to move against those things and to continue following you, to let things go, to forgive, to not seek revenge and not to judge, but to hold people in the center as the divine God sees them, loves them, cares for them. Open us up, Holy Spirit, and lead us now. In Jesus' name, amen.